I checked Bumble because I was talking to somebody like when I got to the airport. And then by the time I got from the airport to my hotel, I had like 14 new likes. Nice. And it was like, what the, it was like, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> you get like 14 likes a year in Brooklyn. You get likes on Bumble? Yeah. What, what is it? How does that work? They tell you like, oh, there's a little category that says like, oh, this many people like you. And it'll be like, oh, two. None of them are nearby. <laughs> Like they just came in from like fucking Denver or whatever for the weekend, and then you just are not a Bumble, you know, user like they are. But Does it match like, you with the people that liked you, or just like these people like you, but you don't know who they are? You it will match you, but it costs like fucking ten dollars a month or some shit. Like yeah, it not, costs like, like seven eight dollars, eight dollars, seven eight. Yeah, it's weekly. That's extortion. Yeah, this is oh man. <laughs> Uh, you could pay a lot more for sex, so it really like at all you could even out. True. Long. Yeah. Anyway, well, welcome to Nersey. Like, yeah, uh, recover that one. <laughs> so, am I the first girl who has ever been on this podcast, or has there been one before? Unfortunately for you, yes. So you have to, <laughs> you have to hold us accountable. Yeah. yeah, I will. But you know, I, I'm honored. Thanks for having me. I am. I mean, you're also the third guest on this podcast so it's okay. not like yeah i the feel like we beat not the best representation but it's better than a lot of places uh, yeah anyway this is nerzy i'm trey i'm drew i'm, Slava. I'm john and today we have drew you should do the introduction for this one okay today our guest is the honorable genius level beauty emily friedlander my partner in life and business and the business of life and podcasting and podcasting he um, sometimes helps me out with my podcast what's that called what's that called it's called the culture journalist oh that's really interesting and where can people find that <laughs> on substack culture journalist at substack.com that's right. We've officially done more promo for the culture journalist on Nersey than we have for Nersey. <laughs> yeah. You guys um, have to think about UX. Like, how do people sign up to hear more? What is your sales funnel? Well, we got to start top of the funnel. <laughs> then it comes down. And then it's more like a cyclone because then, like, you know, it goes out. So, Yeah. Yeah, Trey's actually working on it. We're we're starting at the top of the funnel, and we're really lighting it on fire, right? So then we're we're really just working the uh, outside of the funnel, and then we're working on kind of like uh, intaking air from the bottom of the funnel to to really suck through the smoke at the top of the funnel until we've turned our business strategy into a bomb. <laughs> Are we also putting like a coin in the funnel, like in the mall, and letting it run down while making like a fun noise? That's science. Yeah. Yes. How much money do you think they made off of those? I think the it guy was a that motherfucker to count. I know that. Yeah. Yeah. I hear those are the people that are going to buy Vice, actually. <laughs> <laughs> the coin funnel people. Vice just puts like one of those. It's not even a machine, man. It's just a thing. <laughs> but they just put one in like the middle of like Bedford Ave and they're just like praying. Yeah. <laughs> 
I'm imagining in Bedford Ave it, on Bedford Ave it would have like a specific type of groove so that you could like roll a coke baggie down it. Mm. Not anymore. That's true. Maybe I was like, like Sorry, I was like in we were in Williamsburg recently after not being there for a long time and I like didn't even know where I was. Like there were many streets that were just completely unrecognizable. Like I couldn't even I didn't even know where I was on a map. Oh yeah. Man, don't even get me started on the Moxie Hotel, but that thing is one of the best barbecue places we had in Brooklyn was in that location. They knocked it all down. And <sighs> What do they put there now? It's a hotel. It's the Moxie Hotel. I think it's like a Marriott like subsidiary or whatever. So affordable housing. <laughs> if that's what you if that's what you even want to try to call it, sure. Right. Unaffordable housing. Which barbecue place? Uh, <laughs> do you all know what propaganda is? Mm, do I? No. No, exactly. Yeah, no. That's like the closest bar to it now. Is yeah. propaganda... She's pretty close though, and shout out to Nikki because she's a good buddy. Like she opened a bar that... You remember where uh, South 4th Street bar was? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that closed down, and then uh, Nikki bought, like, the space out. She used to be, like, a bartender at Lucky Dog and was always talking about opening her own bar. And then she opened oh. up, like, the beginning of March 2020. And, um, yeah. So but it worked luckily, really luckily, well. But luckily, but luckily, everybody involved was really cool. They were like, no, we believe in this. And, like, it would, yeah. We're going to make sure this place stays open. So, yeah. That's fantastic. That's, yeah, she's still um, around. Yeah. Trey, how long do you think you're going to make it uh, staying in New York? Or, like, what would be your breaking point for being like, fuck this, I'm out, I'm moving to Philadelphia? Philadelphia specifically. Well, that's just where yes. you go. That's where hipsters retire on the East Coast. And Branson. Or LA. Like, or yeah. LA. Or LA. Or. I don't know. Like maybe I just go to Prague or Copenhagen or some shit, and y'all never see me again. <laughs> That's a good vibe. But I've been yeah. like, I don't know why I've been like seeing like a lot of New Yorkers recently be like, New York is too expensive, but I won't move anywhere else in America. I'll only move to Europe. Are you like that? No, I'm not. But <laughs> okay, real quick, Slava, please stop shaving your head. <laughs> I can't have hobbies. Like I'm, I have stuff to do. I only have a few hours. I have like work tomorrow morning, and I have there's like a girl who works on site. Like I'm trying to be. I've muted my microphone. I don't see what. The uh, okay, is. no, never mind. I didn't. I didn't mean to interfere with your. You know, getting your, getting your game strong and stuff. Like, go ahead, man. Yeah. Do you want to narrate what you're seeing? Because I don't think that people know what yeah. you're referring to. For the record, Slava is in like a Walter White looking ass basement, uh, shaving his head, I believe, with a Norelco tri razor thingamajig. First of all, it's a series 3000 triple uh, nozzle head. Uh, my real baldies will know that you don't really want to use a straight uh, razor. You want to use the triple uh, suction head here. Okay. And, uh, 
yeah, no, it, it really, it hugs the curve like a dream, get it down to a perfect zero and, uh, it lets me do it, um, in about 15 minutes without interruptions. So, um, yeah, I mean, well, you're interrupting our podcast because we can't focus on our discussion <laughs> because you're shaving your head. That reminds me of a time in college. Uh, I was riding around with my friend Kevin in his car and he goes, hold on, I've got to shave. And he just violently opens his glove compartment, pulls out an electric razor and starts shaving while driving. Damn, he keeps an electric razor in his beer uh, cabinet? Uh, no, in like his car. Yeah. In his beer cabinet? Is that a Canadian term for glove box? What's a glove box? It's an American term for beer cabinet. Oh, like where you put your license and stuff in the car? Yeah, yeah. It's the perfect shape for a tall boy. Okay. Try it out. You have a car. Yeah, but I also want to keep it as well as my license. That's why you put it in your beer cabinet. Fair enough. Um, well... Anyways, we have convened here today because uh, the place that we used to work at, which is now emergency, yes, emergency pod, um, the place that we used to work at is going even more bankrupt than usual. And recently, uh, Semaphore's Max Tanny reported just weeks before Vice declared bankruptcy in May, the millennial media company paid performance bonuses to top-level executives. The bonuses were part of the annual payouts executives at the company received based on performance in the previous year, according to two people with direct knowledge of the stipends. Obviously bullshit. Uh, but the checks were written as the company was gearing up for potential bankruptcy, which means many rank-and-file staffers and freelancers, including me, uh, weren't paid for work done from April and May and were furious to learn of their bosses' bonuses. The company has continued to cut costs in other areas, including eliminating the messaging app Slack. On Thursday, an HR rep sent an email to staff saying the company would not be able to pay severance this month. Um, first off, if you're listening you and you have the means, uh, I think we all recommend you donate to the GoFundMe page that vice staffers have set up uh, that was in an attempt to I was like, God damn because yeah this is you guys remember being well we all are still like freelancers in a way you know yeah and chasing that money down especially like when you're working at a place and you're supposed to get paid every two weeks and that's just not happening mm-hmm yeah like you go to a place like that for stability yeah like even just like the kind of faint semblance of stability and like that just gets ripped away from you immediately. That fucking sucks, man. And yeah, they were yeah. saying the union was saying today that people had medical bills they couldn't pay because um, they just haven't been getting money. They just got no, I guess maybe, I don't know if maybe they're able to go on unemployment, but I'm sure that doesn't go very far in New York City right now. Um, no, it and- doesn't. Yeah. So like Sarah David, who was recently, she worked with me at Vice and was recently actually on the Culture Journalist podcast. She's like a union queen. Um, she set up a GoFundMe uh, 
to raise some money. I don't know how much they raised. Like, do you know how much they raised? Um, thirty-two k. Um, but it was yeah, amazing that you know people were pitching in, but the amount that they raised probably not enough to cover like most of the bonuses that are recorded in this document uh, that the executives received, uh, which was released by Max Tanny as part of the tweet. Who knows more about what's going on advice than anybody, including people who work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I remember when I worked at the outline, which was another publication, a lot smaller that had sort of a similarly tenuous existence situation. Uh, and I just remember any time I saw Max tweeting about the outline, like a scoop, I was like, oh, fuck, the shit's getting shut down. Um, but thankfully, the outline, I found out about the outline getting shut down before he did. Um, but should we just the- go through real quick and like, talk about the egregious part of all this, which is the bonuses that were paid out in this and the the compensation that some people got for running a media company very badly. Yes. And should we, Um, yeah, should we say names too? Or like, I don't, I don't know how much trouble we get in, but yeah, actually, no, this is reported news, man. Fuck it. Air these motherfuckers out. Yeah. No, this is a public record. You don't think get you get in any trouble for saying like, oh, um, what, I got all my severance. I don't give a fuck. Not like, Gavin. <laughs> who's the other guy? There's Shane. Gavin, Shane, and Sarush. What's funny yeah, is like, like Shane getting X hundred thousand. You could definitely name that. Is it in the document? Does it say what he got? I think that I, I was trying see to see that. It. This is like Nancy Vice, though, right? This is not the Shane's Vice. This is like since 2000, whatever, 17, when they brought out caught up on my room. lore. Who's the new executive group there? Well, a lot of what's recorded. It involves uh, some people. Okay, let me figure out a way to say things that aren't going to have me like unemployable. Um, <laughs> the thing about Israel. <laughs> well, a lot of. So this document. The embarrassing thing about your company going bankrupt is that documents like this become public part of the public record and you have things like your salary or monies received published. Um, And this statement seems to be, it's a statement of financial affairs uh, filed with the United States bankruptcy court of the Southern district of New York. Um, I've seen a couple of documents related to this, but it seems like this one is like, it records monies that people with the power to make financial decisions that could have led to the company needing to file for bankruptcy, monies that they received in the year or so leading up to it. Because I'm looking at Katie Way's article right now, and also shout out other friend of the pod, Katie Way. Yeah, this was such an easy company not to run into the ground. (laughs) <laughs> so, like, does it say this Nancy uh, Dubuck? Dubuck? Nancy it doesn't Dubuck? list Nancy's in this, I don't think. But uh, some of them, like, for people who are still there or, yeah. And was, Nancy uh, actually left uh, Nancy was pushed months ago. Yeah, let's be real. Nancy got pushed out. <laughs> Nancy allegedly got pushed out in case 
any vice lawyers are sort of like voyeuristically listening to this. Man, y'all uh, current... yeah. <laughs> so money, but it ain't worth it. Yeah. It looks like part one of the document is the gross revenue from uh, the business uh, from 1231-2021 to April of this year. So it lists things like, um, you know, how much revenue they got uh, through the entire business. Another section is like certain payments or transfers made to creditors within 90 days before filing the case. So it's like, we actually found a lot. They have, they have a lot of people they pay to do stuff. Um, Including one thing that I just Actually, no, you, you, you know, okay, Drew and Slava weren't there anymore, but at one point they took away all of our snacks under the guise of like some kind of health initiative. Motherfuckers <laughs> taking Ubers everywhere. Wow. I was like, why'd you need an Uber to Montauk on a Saturday for vice business? Like, fuck off. Like, actually, I, actually, that's that's a lie. I don't know if that's a true thing or not, but I wouldn't be surprised if it happened. What but no, it's like, it's like, even like just like home like to and from and shit, man. It's just goddamn get on the train like the rest of us. You're not famous. Nobody's going to bother you. I mean, there was, when I first started at Vice, I don't think you were there yet, Trey. This is like when they were in the, uh, no, was the other building? Like, was it North, North six? I think y'all were on like 11th. North, North 11th. Sorry. Like yeah. they had an arrangement with North side taxi cab. And it was like a thing where if you needed to go somewhere, you could just call them or something. Like you could just call the car service and they would come pick you up. They had some kind of arrangement with Vice that maybe they were like vouchers or something, but you could like just get a cab by virtue of working there. Yes, I had. When I was hired in like 2016, that was, you could still get the vouchers. <laughs> I had like a checkbook's worth of vouchers in my wallet at one point. Um, I also just want to highlight that uh, in part two of this document where it lists like who Vice paid before like filing for bankruptcy, they paid a company called Cartel uh, LLC in Santa Monica, California, $406,230. Again, that is Cartel, LLC. Spell, spell the name of this company? C-A-R-T-E-L. Okay, just making sure. Yes. How much? 460? $406,230. I can't believe Slava went to prison for working with Cartel and goddamn... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it, well did you look up what this company? Yeah, that was a problem. <laughs> mine wasn't registered. Oh, they weren't registered in Delaware or whatever the fuck. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, so much could have been avoided. Um, did you look up what this company was? Oh, that's lame. It's just an editing and post production facility in Santa yeah, Monica. I, yeah, I just right. looked them up, and they're a production company. But it's For sort sure of a are. problematic name. Well, I'll tell you what the real problematic thing is, uh, is that they produce Lil Dicky's TV show. <gasps> oh, there you go. 
Wow. You'd almost rather they be the other cartel. Yep. I think um, everyone except for you specifically would rather that Slava. I love the cartel. You guys keep trying to spread this rumor, but I, I was going to tell you that I've actually seen this play before. 406,000 uh, desperation play. You buy a bunch of bricks and you say, listen, we're just going to make this shit work come hell or high water. And um, yeah, Vice is now what it always has kind of been on the low. It's a drug dealing operation. Run, <laughs> run with this cab company that you guys seem to love. That would be actually like, that would have been at least a sustainable business model if like we had all been a drug dealing company. Um, Cause that's kind of like how back in the day, like magazine companies sustain themselves is they would be like sort of subsidized by the mob because the mob owned all the magazine distribution businesses because when you distribute, what's that? Like who? uh like all of them um like like mad magazine the, was a gambino crime family front yes no like all the major corporate ones um they all did business with mafia owned trucking companies who distributed magazines and the reason mafia company mafia people liked magazine distribution is because you know them trucks they're pretty big and magazines are pretty small and you can sort of hide things in magazines um in order to make that work and the person who actually sort of like disrupted the mafia was larry flint the publisher of hustler um who was just like i'm gonna undercut the mafia like at one point larry flint was distributing the new york review of books and this is why Larry Flint also was like shot. Um, yeah, I was about to ask, like, this is how he ended up in a wheelchair. Most likely. I mean, like, I once wrote a profile <laughs> of Larry, um, like five or seven years ago. And so I know all of this stuff. Um, and like, if you kind of read between the lines, like the timeline of him setting up the trunk, the trucking company and uh, him getting shot is like pretty pretty neat um let's see they also owe money to michael o'shea michael o'shea who are you what did you do oh let's uh, google real quick i feel like there's gonna be at least 27 michael o'shea's um, and michael o'shea <laughs> fuck i know michael we well you're talking about the american actor michael o'shea who i mean what is what is his when was he born he was born in 1906 and died in 1973. Maybe. Did he work on the Little Dicky show? <laughs> he may have. Let's see. Let's see if he has kids. That might be the key here. Oh my god, I'm seeing that his his son is Little Dicky. That makes him <laughs> Big Dicky. Yeah, there you go. Um they Also owe. seeing they owe, yeah, I don't know if it's they owe or they paid. It's money they paid. Right? They through? paid. Sorry, yeah. Yeah. Um, they paid money to Facebook. They paid this for, since February, February through uh, May um, of this year. They paid Facebook eight hundred and eighty-seven thousand dollars. That's probably like paid. So, like, 
right, Trey? Like that's probably like putting money to make the Facebook spread the articles around. Yeah. So, um, yeah, they used to spend a lot of money on boosting shit on Facebook, like a lot per month. Like how much? Like more than some people made, I think. Wow. So like $2,000 a month. <laughs> I mean, this is, <laughs> this is almost a million dollars this yeah. year. No, I see like it was more than some people made in a year that they would spend in a month to fucking get shit on Facebook popping. But we don't know if that's what that money's for. Maybe they're making a new Vice Sports show with Zuck and his MMA career, right? We just don't know. <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah. I mean, I I think it does. Maybe they have like a premiere documentary on like naked sumo wrestling and, you know, <laughs> it'll do numbers in more ways than one. Yeah. <laughs> I think it does sort of lay bare the truth behind a lot of digital media, though, with which is that it's like pay to play. Like you have to pay in order for the social media platform to hit, like to give you the mushroom that like makes you go faster. They also paid a bunch of money to Google. We don't know what this is exactly for, but it says like from February to May, they paid Google $400,000. I think they also paid Twitter a bunch of money. Um, they paid a hundred grand to revolt the P Diddy owned media Diddy? company. Yes, Diddy. Diddy. That doesn't surprise me. People, yo, in the year of our Lord twenty twenty two, people are still getting into business with Diddy. We talked about Ciroc like an episode or two ago, but like, <laughs> but man, come on. <laughs> what come would they on. do with him? I would watch a Vice Revolt show. There would never be one. Diddy would take like the fucking 500 million in development fees and just be like, I'm going to buy seven jets. And and that's going to be the show. And it's like, we can't film any of this. And it's like, well, this is going to be the show. I mean, Diddy is a notoriously good business person, uh, assuming that good means Diddy is making money. Like the thing where he would make the bad boy artists like rent his personal cars and his mansions from him to film their videos is a really, he basically invented Airbnb and Turo or not Turo. And, and, and inventing people walking across bridges to different boroughs to get you cheesecake at an obscene time. <laughs> yes. Joe Budden does talk about, uh, he was like, he auditioned for a pilot on a Viceland show, and he was working with Revolt at the time, so I think if we follow the money here, we can get to some pretty good Joe Budden content. Was was this Joe Budden's release clause until he was just like, nah, I don't like the contract, and Revolt was like, okay, well, we're keeping the money? Probably, yeah. Okay. Wow, that's the second uh, New York rap media mogul who is like... Screw Joe Budden over financially. <laughs> you guys remember when Jay-Z rapped over uh, the, what's the Big Budden song? Pump, Pump it, it Up. up. Yeah, yeah. Give me that beat, fool. This is a full-time jack move. Um, 
And then he did uh, another one. He did T-shirts and buttons. No, wait, that was a little B. That was a little, little B. That, that was devastating diss track. Devastating just Oh, my God. Joe Button. More like Joe Booty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Isn't that the one where Lil B is like, damn, Joe, you could have been my friend. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Who's like the foremost Lil B scholar? We should have them on. Um, Honestly, it might be Kyle Kramer. Yeah. Yeah, we got to talk. Yeah, we got to get friend of the pod, Kyle Kramer, on the pod soon. Wrote about yeah. Lil Wayne for an entire year. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. yeah the, the, the Lil B documentary under his belt. Yes. Yeah, do you ever uh, think about where rocks came from? <laughs> the well, yeah. the record store in Carborough, which is like the Brooklyn of Chapel Hill, um, used to sell the Lil B ambient album on vinyl. And one of my greatest regrets is not buying it when I had the chance. That's crazy. Well, that bass means something completely different now. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing, man. Yo, you can contribute to the culture, but you don't get to decide how the culture interprets what you're saying. Yeah. It, oh, okay. Slava Lost did not. Slava. Uh, yeah. um, oh. Slava's back. You still have not explain why you're wearing like highway workman gear right now <laughs> um six inch inseam shorts Ugh, lululemon uh, okay head top fade by slava oh. and then we have the high visibility vest for uh i think this was sourced in costco uh it's called okay. force field uh, they make good high vis stuff, and uh, it's really good if you want to avoid getting hit by cars, or if you're going to be walking underneath some kind of scaffolding that something could fall on you. If uh, the person doesn't see you, it's also good to like fend off against coyote attacks, which happen more <laughs> often than you think on the job site. Um, really? Yeah, dude. Like coyotes are huge. Yeah, they're Canada. in the woods. Mm. Yeah, it's they all go up here. Northern coyotes. That's like the the breed of them. They're huge though. They're um, like um they're like fucking at least six feet tall, three hundred pounds, and if they stand on their hind legs, they could dunk. Are you describing Teen Wolf? Yeah, no, that, that's definitely a lie. They're not that big. Okay. I thought you the main me. point of coyotes was that they were in packs. But this also you're you're deflecting Slava. What were you doing today that required you to wear such a garment? I, I just, I had blueprint reading class, so I was actually in class all day. I didn't have to be wearing this, but I took a shower and I wanted to put something big on in case I got cold. So I just mm-hmm. grabbed the closest hoodie and this is like my, uh, this is like my everyday hoodie, you know, this is like blueprint what I wear. Blueprint reading class? Yeah, you have to like do surface readings and then draw blueprints I and it's like for, um, along the it's trails, fucking boring, bro. Nobody wants to hear Around the brush. You know what they do want to hear about, though, is what? how much money. It's how much money the uh, executives at Vice paid themselves before declaring bankruptcy, and the answer is like a shitload. Uh, Bruce Dixon, the co 
CEO got a $112,970 bonus. It's important that we be precise here. That's 70 on April. Yep. On April 27th. Did you also say like how much the entire package was? I think that according to a tweet by uh, a guy who works at Vice, it was like seven to nine hundred k in bonuses. No, no, which... no. It says in the it says in the document. Oh, really? I can someone else look this up because I'm looking at it on my okay. phone. So I got the uh, I got the Katie article open. So it says a uh, Chief Operating Officer Corey Hayek who yeah um took home seven hundred twenty six thousand sixty eight dollars between may 22 and may 15 23 the date of vice's bankruptcy filing folded into that sum was a forty five thousand dollar bonus on april 28th a little more than two weeks before vice declared bankruptcy Chief it's also Officer daisy auger dominguez who wrote a book on workplace inclusion revolution but refused to give workers Indigenous People's Day off after Juneteenth made it onto the official company calendar for the first time. It was paid $748,583 over the same period, which included a $99,000 retention bonus she received the same day as hike. Okay, yeah, in also, her defense, in her defense, the Chief title People never Officer, said... Yeah, okay. In her defense, the title never said who was revolting against whom. Okay. Uh, Can I play devil's advocate for a second? Real quick, real quick, real quick. The day before Vice's bankruptcy filing went public, she posted poolside while on a vacation in Playa del Carmen, quote, room service for one on Mother's Day is everything. She wrote in the caption for a photo of a pristine piece of avocado toast, a fruit salad, and a green beverage. I mean, I love room service. So, you know, all of these people are like, I don't recognize any of these names. So I assume they're all hired after like 2016. Is oh, yeah. Right? This was after the New York Times article and they had to do a shakeup. So this is like 2018, 2019, right? Like 18 about. And all these people came from like existing media companies or the tech world, right? It was like it was like late 18, early 19. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think it's like also partially they really wanted the TV station to pop off. So they're like, let's get somebody who's definitely already ran a media company to the ground. Sure. I mean, and, like- then and then let's also get somebody who works at a TV station, but we're not going to let her do ice road truckers type shit. <laughs> and, then, yeah. uh, and then like also Jesse Angelo, like if you want to just jump ahead to what he was making, goddamn. Jesse D'Angelo? No, just Jesse, reg- singular Angelo. Uh, um, but yeah, he was making twenty eight thousand one hundred and twenty five dollars a month. Um, Sounds like sober and- Shane Smith. <laughs> In on January thirty first, he got reimbursed for five thousand nine hundred and seventy three dollars. Which is that? Is that more or less? the minimum vice salary when you were working there trey uh so there was a union minimum and the union minimum was more than that 
Okay. I can't speak like permalancers and freelancers and stuff. Yeah. Well, the good okay. news is that as of March uh, of this year, Jesse Angelo has actually started a new media company called Checker Media. So mm-hmm. if you're listening to this and you need a job, I would suggest hitting but it Jesse seemed- Angelo. Are they, are, are they sh- I'm sorry. Go ahead, Emily. It seemed from the documents, though, that he's still getting paid by Vice. Playboy. I could be wrong. Let me see. Okay, Jesse yeah. Angelo. His last... He was paid... Or he was paid... Sorry. He was paid... His last paycheck appears to have been uh, May 9th, 2023 for 28000 and $28,125. He's like the, uh, he's like the Bobby Mula of uh, Vice Media. They're just going to keep paying about every year. But he didn't... He didn't see... I don't think he received a retention bonus. Because he was... It seemed like the ones who were still working there maybe re- retained the retention bonus. Also, what is a retention bonus? Like, is this like a known a thing? much yeah like if you stay somewhere for you because they gave us loyalty bonuses in the union contract um yeah it was it was one of the like when we mean negotiating the contract um basically if you stay there for like a year we got like a thousand dollars that was taxed at like 50 something percent um yeah it's a ninety nine thousand dollar retention bonus is fucking insane they all got different amount. They all got like different amounts of retention bonuses, but they all had like slightly different salaries. But somehow, in every case, for this cluster of like the real top people, advice it ended up between seven hundred and eight hundred thousand dollars. Or like it all, no matter what the specifics were, it was like it all added up to the same. Well, the bonuses were based on how much you saved how much money you saved vice by like laying people off or refusing to play to pay for slack or whatever, I assume. Um, and a lot of the stuff is pre-baked, pre-baked in. So like they, they would have been getting this money if the company had been going bankrupt or if they'd been going forward for another year, they just paid themselves and then were like, Oh, we're out of money. And, and so it looks awful. And it is awful. <laughs> so do you, are you trying to say that it wasn't a thing where they're like, oh, it's about to go bankrupt. We need to just pay ourselves out these bonuses. Oh, but it, it was naturally going to happen anyway at this time. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure they, uh, because I remember when I got laid off back in November, yeah. I was supposed to get my loyalty bonus like on uh, January 1st. And they're like, we'll give you your loyalty bonus anyway. So like, I can't see why they wouldn't have done the same here. They they were going to do this anyways. It just so happened that the company was going bankrupt. So they were like, okay, well, here's our cash out and and see ya, everyone who's not an executive, you know, with like the contract that says I get a hundred k for staying here for two years or whatever the retention. Right. All is. these people came from other companies, right? These people were not like hipsters that they pulled off the streets of New York. Clearly, they had someone like draw up their contracts in such a way that would ensure them windfalls of money for years to come. Yeah, no respect for the craft. <laughs> is this like a really... People who have never done the craft, no respect for the craft, man. Yeah. Is this a standard practice 
at all companies that go bankrupt. Like, didn't they do something similar to this at Silicon Valley Bank? Yeah, yeah it was definitely right a thing. Sorry, you go ahead, Trey. No, no, you you sound like you're about to be a lot more knowledgeable about this than I am. So, oh, I mean, it was it was definitely a thing where the SVB executives paid them massive, paid themselves massive bonuses, like right before all of the bad things started to happen. And you know, this is like a recurring thing across any company that fails, basically, and it's sort of like it does beg the question like damn are they giving themselves bonuses right before they announce that they're fucked or uh is it all just a crazy coincidence (laughs) what would you rather though like in your ideal scenario wouldn't you rather it go down like this where it's like drama and juicy gossip instead of it just getting folded into like Condé Nast or whatever the fuck happened to Complex I mean I my personal preference would be that these I executives like they would pay people the money that they owe them yes yeah I don't care what either one of those options entails as long <clears throat> as long as it's like getting people the money that they're owed like yeah but yeah yeah, I mean, well, I think it. Either way, man, it's no longer my pig. It's no longer my farm. But I do care about like people getting exploited by this place. Yeah, like there's no reason that the executives couldn't have been like, "Well, I've already made six hundred and fifty thousand dollars this year. I guess I will forego my fifty thousand dollar bonus." Yeah, but so that, that like, so that like a couple, like one employee could be saved. Just like at least like, you know, six employees get this severance they're old. But then you can't do room service brunch for Yeah, but then you can't go to apply the karma, you know. With uh, avocado toast. Yeah. And yeah. Celebrating Mother's Day without your children or whatever. whatever. (laughs) I think it's just I think the reason why it's resonating so much is obviously the, you know, contrast between, you know, what the CEOs have going on at this moment and then the laid off employees, you know, that's just extremely striking and disturbing contrast. But I think it's also this like really concrete window into a thing that like we all suspect, which is, you know, executive pay is so, so high. And there's always a suspicion when you work for a place, like (laughs) where's all, where's all the money going? Or like, why can't we pay for things? And you always suspect, oh, it's probably because people are paying themselves all this money. And we do have like an issue systemically in America where executive pay has risen and become part of like a big part of the reason for inflation that doesn't get talked about right now. And like here we have a ex- concrete example of this that hits close to home where we see the amounts that are getting paid out. Um, which you don't really get a window into most of the time with private companies. Yeah, it's like yeah, if... they're, they're the ones suffering from success. So <laughs> yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to vilify the executives too much, man. You know, like we all want to be a boss one day. Yeah, like what if that's you one day? <laughs> what if you finally pull yourself up by your bootstraps? Well, calm down, Meek Mill. <laughs> it's like succession, or it's like you know. 
It's like getting to see into the salaries of the people. It's probably not as high as the people on succession, succession, but it's like, you know, oh, these are the people who can kind of control the situation in their own favor or whatever. Or like, it's like if, it's like if you found out that right before the Titanic sunk, uh, it was just, or it's like if you found out that the standard operating procedure on the Titanic was to just, once they got into the center of the ocean, move the lifeboats into first class. Mm, I hear you. But think about how much money Jesse Angelo left on the table by not working for the Daily Wire. (laughs) 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 That's true. Um, I I never thought about it that way. Sometimes Slava be spitting, though. (laughs) Just to clarify, Slava was not spitting right there. Just, yeah. In case I get canceled. Or no, I think it was fairly clear that Slava was spitting uh satirically. Yeah, Slava, not- why are you so bosses? I'm not thinking the shit were called dough cords for like a week, okay? Like it's not <laughs> always true. It's not always true. Well, I just okay, listen. Do you guys know how much money you pay in taxes at that level? Like all jokes aside, I'm pretty sure Americans pay so much in taxes at like the sea level. <laughs> Right. Like those people are stimulating the economy by getting paid all that money. So oh, no, no, that's no. true. And some they're ways, not paying taxes on their salary. Slava, what they do is they get something called um, equity incentive where you get a certain amount of your salary is tied to the stock. So like, say, for instance, Disney. Right. You get your stock options that are worth, you know, you get 100,000 stock, stock options at $200 a share. And then you take out loans that are at a lower rate of interest than what the respective tax rate would be secured against the stock that you own in the company. So really, they're not paying any tax or they're paying very, very little tax. Well, to me, it sounds like you're, actually... you're probably paying more tax than the average, I doubt that. Like, I doubt that. <laughs> point one. Well, maybe not. Yeah, you, dude, dude, in America. Yeah. When you make that much money, you have people you pay to make you pay a lot less tax. Yeah, like a certain point, like if you make enough money, like everything goes through a holding company that's based in whichever other nation it has the most favorable tax regime for you specifically. Yeah, um, there's a reason why every company is incorporated in Delaware. It's because they all love Joe Biden, right? <laughs> they love uh, sneakers with no socks. Hey, man. Don't hate on sneakers with no socks. It's a that's a cross class. Man, no, I know it smells crazy. (laughs) The other thing that's sort of astonishing is like how you lose five hundred million dollars or whatever the fuck it was without like making any money back. Like, if you like, what would you guys do? if you could just do whatever you had $500 million to do whatever sort of business mm-hmm. and like, I, I would number one, never go into business with any private equity person. Yep. Yeah. Like, no, yeah, that's, you know, as soon as you're in a meeting with them, they're already thinking about how they chop you off for parts and get the fuck out. Yes. Like that's yeah. Like, did you, you saw what happened with a uh, Instapot? 
No. Some private equity people got involved in Instapot, probably one of the most stable businesses for like just general housewares or whatever. Because everybody loves a fucking Instapot, man. Like you get some like, you know, beef shoulder, you throw it in the Instapot, you come home, it's ready. You throw some beans in there, they're ready when you get home. Yeah, Instapots are so fucking easy and you're going to sell them. But private equity got in there, tried to ramp shit up, and then Instapot went fucking bankrupt. And you know what's crazy? Instapot also like owns Pyrex or some shit like that. What? It's the same company. So now like Pyrex is like, you know, bankrupt by affiliate. How is the fuck is Pyrex fucking, man? Okay, again, let me not say anything that made me unemployable. Yeah. Private equity is now... I'm going to put these fucking up crack these crack dealers now. Right. I mean, it's also just like the proprietary Pyrex technology. It's great. It doesn't fucking break. You can do whatever. There's better materials out there uh, already. Like if Pyrex was good in the 70s. Do rappers talking about them? No, that's the the thing. It's like Pyrex has crazy brand recognition amongst uh, that that sphere. But no one's even selling crack except for like Hunter Biden's people. Everybody's doing (laughs) fetish. Did you guys see the thing about how they found Coke in the White House? What? Yeah. No. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And they yeah, were wondering was, with Joe Biden. And it's like, okay, is he sleepy Joe? Is he coked up Joe? He can't be both. Like, make a fucking decision. Did they find I mean, out who it was? I saw something that said it was, quote unquote, linked to Hunter Biden. But was that, is there any teeth to that? No, Hunter Biden. Just blame it on him, man. Just blame it on him at this point, man. Like he's the fall guy for everything in that family now, and I think he's 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 sturdy enough to stand up against the allegations. So yeah, yeah. Hunter's got to be the Daniel House of uh, (laughs) of Joe Biden's James Harden in the NBA bubble Uh, when James Harden definitely had sex with somebody, snuck him in in the bubble. Allegedly, and D House just fucking he took it. Yeah, and in the same way, Hunter Biden is like Daniel House because a lot of his Spotify music isn't available in America. <laughs> That's also true. For the house for the team, now that we're all back, I just want to go back to Katie Way's article in Hellgate, New York, uh, because it has like it has like a really fun a bunch of really fun details. Like she says, I spent the last eight or so months that I worked at Vice heavily involved in the union's organizing committee which meant I spent a lot of time talking to my coworkers about why we didn't have any fucking money. At various times, there was no money to pay cast and crew members on time or money to reimburse full-time employees for expenses they accrued while reporting or money to pay for subscriptions to other publications or for tools like transcription services or FOIA submissions or LexisNexis or working laptops. We stopped printing our magazine because we stopped paying the printers. Our video teams had to scramble to rent gear because overdue bills made the company name all but worthless at most of the equipment rental facilities in Brooklyn. We stopped using Slack because Vice stopped paying for it. Snacks disappeared from the mostly vacant office, except for coffee, and an inexplicably, believe me, they a- we asked, and they did not explain it, large amount of milk. There was so much milk in the office, and I never really <laughs> There was so much milk in the office, dude. 
Was it several kinds of milk? Like, did it have oak milk and almond every, milk? Every oak milk, fridge, almond milk? Yeah, it, it was like every fridge had a milk shelf or two. <laughs> and, like, yeah, it was, it was like they would have, like, almond milk and stuff and da but it was, like, a lot of 2% and, like, whole milk and skim milk and shit. And it was, like, I never once saw somebody just drinking a glass of milk. Yeah, so it was like you y'all don't need this much milk for people's coffee or whatever. Like it was it was so much milk. I would like to see a lot of yogurt before they took away our snacks too. I don't know if y'all remember how much yogurt they just like used to be in the office. (laughs) And cheese sticks, like like off brand string cheese. Yeah, remember when we what was it like first couple episodes we talked about the goddamn cheese vault? Vice was like the auxiliary cheese vault. I think the most luxurious thing was they had like on tap seltzer. Oh, the on I okay, that's one of the few things I miss about that office man. Right. Yeah. They like, had they, this so seltzer from the can or seltzer from the bottle, but seltzer from the tap is a completely different story. It made it worth going into the office. <laughs> that's crazy. I forgot about all that till just now. That was like the one feature they had in the kitchen that I was like, What is this? Damn. Yeah, and like Maybe it, it, it always came out of temperature too. It always came out of the perfect temperature, too. Even when you got yeah. to the bottom of it, it was still like, okay, it's not as cold as it used to be, but it's still cool. <laughs> the trappings yeah. of low interest rate culture. Yeah. But, like, man, I've said this before, but what a cool company. And, like, we are so... <laughs> <laughs> no, but for real, like, they're never going to do anything like that again, ever. Yeah, because they went bankrupt buying fucking dairy. <laughs> Right, but wouldn't you have liked to work at Enron? Yeah, that's a good point. I once knew a dude who worked at Lehman Brothers. Um, Because, like, once you work at, like, a historic failure of a company, like, you always have good party stories and or fodder for a podcast. Do you remember when Vice used to hand out, like, Christmas bonuses for a hot minute? There would be like these. My first year, they gave everybody a backpack and then did a raffle, so like you could win a drone or some shit. And um, <laughs> I think yeah. I was there for one year before that, where they gave out like an envelope full of cash. Well, before oh, the backpack, that, that was what the twentieth anniversary party, from what I remember. Maybe it was like that's what it was. Yeah, hell yeah. And they just said that- the coolest night New York has ever seen. You was actually there, so like, if you want to say anything about it. I mean, I will say, just thinking about it now, like, yes, being like, I'm handing everyone $1,000 in cash is like a flex, but also it seems like a really good way to avoid paying taxes on your Christmas bonuses. And, and I believe the year after that, at the LA Christmas party, uh, one of the executives who I will not name because this was off the record, uh, got up there and there was a raffle and he was like, whoever wins the raffle, I'm going to buy you a car. And then my friend won the raffle and then she was like, oh my God, this is going to change my life. I get to get rid of my, you know, uh, mid-20s millennial LA car, which was probably a Camry or whatever. And uh, 
then the next day said executive sobered up and decided instead that uh the winner of the raffle got just like a really nice tv yeah, yeah i was about to say this is Lyra's main shift uh, yeah. um what's the coolest thing that you stole from vice the coolest thing i stole from vice i didn't really steal that much um, yeah, maybe. So there is a i time... mean like yeah okay you say yours when I left the New York office to go to LA, uh, I did, I was like saying bye to the IT guys because my computer broke so much that I was tight with them. And I was like, can you guys like give me something cool to take? And he was like, yeah, sure, whatever. And he gave me like uh, a USB to HDMI converter cable, which I wish I still had because those things are like, pretty useful was it like vice branded no no it was like generic like amazon that's pretty cool we didn't even get an it guy until we moved into the new office and then that guy like had all the coke at the company christmas party it was weird because everybody thought he was a square and then i feel like he overcompensated by being like hey you guys want some coke uh which we did Mm. But um, there was a time when we had a big partnership with Budweiser and there was like a wall of beer in the uh, back room. And I lived really close to the office and the security code to get into the office was one, two, three, four. So I would walk in on Friday nights and walk out with like two cases of beer in each hand and uh, (laughs) go back to my apartment. I did that all summer and I don't think they noticed. And if they did, they didn't say anything. Uh, That's kind of one of the reasons I think they stopped having beer for free in the new york office too because i kept taking it yeah you were sitting down on the bus yeah and just swiping our whole stash now um because i remember sometimes they would have like those cans of wine cans of wine wine that's like half a bottle in one can or whatever hello yeah 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 because we definitely had them for one like you know, like company party or whatever, like they were barbecuing on the roof deck. And I was like, okay, cool. And people were putting those cans down, not realizing how much is in one. I think people were thinking <laughs> like they were a glass of wine instead of like half a bottle. Trey, at what point did they cut off the old blue last? Oh man, that shit smelled crazy. <laughs> um, <laughs> we found out, wait, we found out why it smelled funny. I forget exactly why. I just know it smelled funny. We learned this recently at Drew's book release party. Like, remember we talked to the bartender? Yeah, yeah. Shouts he, out, John. It was at the Bushwick Country Club, and he was like, you worked at Vice? Wait a minute. And he goes and, like, comes back with, like, a can, like, one of the last remaining cans of Old Blue Last. And he said something about how the way that it was prepared or the way that it was stored made it go rancid. (laughs) And it was like rancid before it even reached consumers. I believe that. It was like like, low key rancid, like slightly, slightly funky. I only drank because it was free. I remember them trying to charge me like $6 for one in a bar one time. I was like, absolutely not. Oh my God. Slava just. Okay, wait, no, no, you got to take a photo of it. This is the thumbnail for the next episode. So speaking of things that we're very happy that we stole from Vice, I'm holding up a pair of Stan Smith Adidas 
that are vice branded and they are all white with a pink sole and they and i actually kind of like even missed this detail until somebody came over and pointed it out yeah old blue last it was what rancid when you got it so apparently the marketing campaign that they decided on was contingent upon building buzz and then doing the rollout which they didn't realize meant that a bunch of beer would be sitting in like a warehouse in Brooklyn, I think during the summer, which caused it to skunk before it hit like store shelves, bar shelves, whatever. Um, Which led to Trey saying once that old blue last is the only beer that tastes different every time you drink it. And also Trey saying that it's the only beer that tastes better warm. That's because of all the yeah. egg they put in there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was like, yo, imagine if someone was like, what if we like left a fucking three uh, entree combo from Panda Express out in the sun? And then made a beer that tastes worse than that, you know? <laughs> but man, what a great yeah. metaphor for Vice. Yeah. Yeah, honestly, that's not fair to Panda Express, honestly, man. Like, yeah, that pepper, <laughs> yeah, that pepper chicken fucking goes. Shout out there. Um, but like for Vice to start off and do a beer that was based on Paps Blue Ribbon, which is like a really basic beer, but also like a very vice thing to be like, oh, you know that thing that's popular? Why don't we just do that, but like change it a little bit? Um, except there's failed, which is crazy. Or it was like, it was like Pabst was popular in like 2004 to seven, sort of when vice was really on the come up. And then, so in like, 2014 they were like what if we just made a beer well that's kind of like my question about the whole thing that we're talking about too if all these people came in like 2016 and maybe even onwards 2017 2018 they knew they were going to work for vice a company that is famously like not great to its employees so yeah, that's why they, the staff and they were all park slope moms and stuff and no way they can be bad people so you know Right. So like you almost can't fault the executives for having a bunch of shit in their contract that made sure they got paid way too much money because at least like they knew what they were getting into. And they're like, well, I'm not going to get fucked over by advice like everyone has been for years and years. I'm going to make sure my shit is ironclad. And obviously the people that you guys know didn't do that because they don't have the means to do that. But it's like, you know, I like people in all sectors get paid way more at the C-suite than they do at the bottom. And I don't know if it like they're taking money from the people at the bottom by giving it to the people at the top. I don't think it's like that kind of vampiric scenario, but I don't know. No, it is. Like, that's exactly what it is, man. How is it not that? Yeah, that's exactly what it is. What they it is. would, I mean, they would definitely argue that it wasn't that yeah. somehow. They would make up some kind of like reason that it wasn't that, but I mean, I work hard to I, make twenty percent less revenue than we did last year. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you have to understand market forces and the war in Ukraine, and there's just some things that are beyond their control. Um, <laughs> but I'm not saying no. I'm not saying that they did a good job. I'm just saying they knew they weren't going to do a good job, and they also knew they were going to a company that famously didn't pay people. So they probably had these contracts drawn up by some like 
Keanu Reeves in the Devil's Advocate style lawyers who knew how to finagle a, a bagel. No, they went into a co- company where the uh, people who are at the highest up get paid great. It's people at the bottom don't get paid great. Yes, absolutely. I'm not arguing that. The people at the bottom have always been paid shitty. I am definitely not trying to make the case that that's not true. I'm just saying you can't fault the people at the top for knowing what they were getting into. So they made all these like stupid contracts that now sound ridiculous when you read them out loud on a podcast. Dude, if you if you go to a meeting of people and it's a club that you want to join, they're like, oh, so we're going to go shoot up a school. And it's like, oh, well, you know, I guess I got to go do this now. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, like you chose to be there. You chose to be there. Yeah, like, but, you could do yeah. the same fucking shit just being the creative director of some boutique in goddamn Lower East Side if you're so fucking cool that you should be directing cool shit for people. But what no. I also wonder is like, how do you, how do you, and what do you have to do to get into this group of people who are at like getting salaries at that level? Like, oh yeah, it doesn't do seem like it's merit based. Four or five years. Yeah. It doesn't seem like it's always merit based. Sometimes it seems like it's just who you grew up having your, you know, who was your best friend when you were growing up, kind of thing, or you were oh, the right good. place, right time. But I just don't. If you, sorry. Marry, if you marry someone who's like in like a rich family, you can like marry into it. That's but mostly it's nepotism. Yeah, you can scams <laughs> it. It's scams. Yeah, scams vibes. Um, but but yeah, it's just like, or what you have to be willing to do, like, do you have to be willing, like, what kind of person do you have to be to have like the right, I mean, I guess the character of Tom Wamsgams was an exploration of this, but like, what kind of person do you have to be to get there? What do you have to be willing to do? I mean, I just, you, you, you need an MBA and then you need to run a company or operate one and you need to like fire a bunch of people and you need to probably sell a company or two and then, <laughs> and then executives will respect. Oh, so don't forget like having rich parents is already pretty key to this. Yeah. I was going to yeah. say you yes. need to go to the right school yeah. early on, like realistically, you need to go to Well, like... you can't just do all that stuff. Yeah. It has to be like curated. Yeah. But you can't sell that lifestyle. You have to sell the lifestyle of like dirty heroin hipsters like Shane Smith. So like, <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of where the disconnect comes in. Like, yeah, it, it sucks that this company got taken advantage of, but I'll go back to my earlier question of like, how would you have rather seen it play out? Would you have wanted to see them get folded into Condé Nast? Cause that's really it. I it's mean, like, it either goes bankrupt or it gets bought up by something bigger. Well, it went bankrupt and it was bought up and it, it's, it's continuing. It's still happening. This is like a nice glimpse. We got into what's going on because we could we suspected things were going on, but we couldn't see it. Well, you mean like but, that they got their debt collected on by the Citadel Group? They got the the company was sold, or at, I don't know if it was sold or just kind of like released into the hands of the groups that had the largest kind of stake in the remaining stake in the company. A shout out, friend of the pod, George Soros. Um. Yeah, it was. <laughs> and it's also like it's not just the fact that they got their like debt called recalled or whatever it's like every single move they made up to that point and like you know sort of pursuing this model of getting more and more and more and more funding based on the potentiality of future profits 
and structuring the entire company around this idea of garnering more and more capital from investors rather than building something like sustainable or okay which is impossible no i mean it is possible it's just that that's not the kind of model that this company was built on and it's just but it's it's i don't know you have to wonder like did they did they did they kind of just like think of it as this thing we're like oh we're gonna see if we can get away with this like you know, raising all this money and see how long we can pull this off while making sure that everybody, you know, in our inner circle, all of the investors get paid okay? Or was it literally just like we weren't, they weren't able to figure it out? The best case scenario is Twitter, which made no money. (laughs) It still continues to make no money. And then Elon Musk was like, I'm going to give you $40 billion for Twitter. So if they're trying to find an IPO, and they're trying to find some, maybe we can do TV or we can do this or that. And, and and then suddenly like Disney will buy us and we'll make a bunch of money. That's great. But that, that didn't happen. John, how do you know all this shit? Oh, I work in, this is like what I, I work in corporate finance. I'm a finance tech bro. Oh, okay. We should be interviewing you. Yeah. Yeah. You know the most about what's going on. The, 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 <laughs> chief legal officer for disney which obviously disney is a huge huge company compared to vice um the chief legal officer for disney's compensation just for this year is around 15 million dollars so i'm saying jerry angel is leaving money on the table by coming to do yeah like eight hundred thousand in a in an exit package for a bankrupt company golden parachutes nothing when in the i mean in the grand scheme of things when you when you consider it in the frame of like i'm not getting paid like I have an invoice like that's unpaid from Vice, and this guy's getting 800k. It's not acceptable. But these executives make so much money; it's fucked. It's crazy. So they might think, "Oh, we're slumming it at this place." Well, they're getting taxed. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, and this is a private company um, as well, so it's a bit different. It's like so when you've already money. made 80 million dollars, and you're like, "Oh, let me go have a fun job now." <laughs> yeah. yeah. I would make. Also, argument. Vice still owes me a thousand bucks. Right. Yeah, that's yeah. We'll get. We'll Yo, you it. better go get that shit back. Small claims court. Go, I, I promise you, he's not hard to find. <laughs> like, yeah. Better go tapping on the green or some shit one night. Yeah. Put your whole um, hand on a piece of salad. Demand your money. <laughs> My hot take is that this is a really good time to invest in Vice. That's uh, true. Honestly, like, yeah, from a yeah, but they're topic. at the floor. And they're still here, bro. Like they're they're not the the URL still works. This is sort of the same reason that like if my book were to get adapted into a film or television show, I want Jack Harlow to play the me character. It's buy and low. Drew, wasn't there already a movie that was you think was based on your life? Yeah, yeah. The Seth Rogan movie like recount. Oh, uh, I'm, you, that was based on you? I'm pretty sure, yeah. Like, do you know Seth Rogen at all? Or okay, so check it. Um, one, the screenwriter of this film went to like Parsons at the same time that I worked at Vice in Brooklyn. The Seth Rogen character 
is a dude who loves rap music and dressed in a lot of like neon windbreakers, etc., which I did during my Vice Brooklyn era. And he, the character, leaves the Vice style media company at which he works to go work on as a speechwriter for Catherine Heigl's uh, like campaign and sort of the way that I broadcast me leaving vice was my dad is running for Congress. I'm going to work on his campaign. Okay. Yeah. At the windbreakers, I was like, all right, man, this is like at least 27 white dudes I could think of off the top of my head. (laughs) It was, it got more specific, like, okay, okay. And he wore like similar clothing. Like, didn't he have like a bucket hat that was similar to a bucket hat you had worn in an Instagram photo or something? It was a jacket. Okay. But yeah. I mean, like, you had a stalker pretty much. Yeah. Or like, so this came about, (laughs) this theory came about. So we're talking about a crime right now. Yes. Okay. Um, They didn't pay for your life rights. Yeah, I am owed life rights by Seth Rogen. Um, it's crazy. And you like, can't even find this movie. Like, what's this movie called? I think it's called Recount. But okay. Charlie Theron. Oh yes. yeah, it's Charlie's Theron, it's not Catherine shot. Heigl. Yeah, Catherine long Heigl shot. Is, uh, knocked up. Okay, okay. Uh, Charlie's Theron. Yeah. Yeah. So and it's so like. Long shot. But like. Emily watched this movie alone one day because me and my friend Nolan were going to see John Wick 2 and she did not want any part of that. And so she went and watched Longshot and she came out and was like, I think this movie is based on you or this <laughs> character is based on you. That's it. And I was like, that's ridiculous. Then we watched a pirated version of the movie that night and I was like, damn, I think you're right, Emily. And then I told... My buddy Jeremy Gordon, who was like, all right, no, you're you're like on cocaine right now if you think that's true. But then he watched it and was like, oh, my God, I think you're right. Do you know <laughs> like, what uh, Seth Rogen's name in that movie is? Yeah, his character's name is Drew Millard. <laughs> <laughs> it's Fred Flarsky. <laughs> Exactly. That's like a made-up name. Yeah, that's super made-up. That's like, okay, well, we can't call him Drew Millard. Fuck, what are we going to do? Exactly. Uh, fucking, fucking Fred Flarsky. Does that sound yep. like a name? Son, Andy Circus. Yep. Does Seth Rogen and Charles Yeah, Theron. June, Diane, Raphael, Bob Odenkirk, and Alexander Sarska. Oh, this is... Uh, what Sarsgaard did this come out on? In the movie... No yeah. spoilers, oh. but do they fuck? All right, listen, you got to take some liberties. It can't just be Seth Rogen's dad running for Congress in a heavily gerrymandered district that he's not going to win, which was my dad. Uh, right. He's got to be working for Hillary Clinton, who is like uh, a beautiful woman. I thought the 
we were going to talk about AI. Like that was originally why you were bringing me on. Um, Trey, what did you want to ask Emily about AI? Like what's, first of all, what specifically, what were you going to talk about AI tonight? Because yeah, uh, AI music can mean a lot of different things. Uh, whether it is bad or good. Oh, it's bad. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, or I think everybody. Emily is most specifically... Emily, do you... Uh, it seems that you are very concerned about the implications of AI for sort of people who do creative knowledge work, especially the type of stuff that's like, you know... Uh, making like writing like branded content in order to pay your bills or you know doing will like... vice start will vice start using ai to replace uh writers yeah like other places yes, are absolutely talking all, about doing all the jobs we've had are 100%. gone and are never coming back we may as well have been cab drivers for that company you guys were talking about at the top of the episode <laughs> Uber's Do you think here. that's I mean, good? Yeah, but then I would have to drive. It's and... neutral. It's not good or bad. Like people adapt. New technologies come around. New companies come around. It's neutral. Slava, you're so at peace with like the universe. I just have a job <laughs> at like a thing that's <laughs> that's not media related at all. And if anything, like I'm not not to be Kim Kelly, but like I'm pretty sure all unions came around after the Industrial Revolution. So, like, all we need is another revolution, and then you guys can have your, like, knowledge worker unions. Well, we actually had um, this guy, Brian Merchant, who used to work at Vice. Is that the walking Like, at Motherboard? Guy? No, no, no. He didn't, he didn't work at Vice. Oh. He wrote for Vice, like, a couple times or once. But this guy, Brian Merchant, who was, like, a Motherboard editor... I believe Um, really, really smart. He has a book coming out on exactly that on the Luddite movement. Oh, which was like episode wrong. Yeah. But like, it was like the early in the early industrial revolution, the workers were like seeing that the employers were bringing these machines into the factory and they were like, Oh, I see what you're doing. I see what this machine is for. And then they went and they just smashed the machine. Okay. But and like, destroyed it. Yeah. but And but that like, is like, so that was what they needed to do back then. But part of the thesis of the book is that that's going to have to happen. That might have to happen again. What do you mean happen again? AI. Like that didn't work, right? Like people use machines <laughs> to get stuff done. Like they're like carpenters didn't take a stand and say, I'm not using cordless drills because I <laughs> you know, or else I'll be replaced. They refused, they refused the tech. No, they were into technology, which it's a myth that they were against technology, but they, they were against the technologies that they saw were being into like being used to make their wages go down or whatever, or replace them. And so they were not the first like union, but they were kind of like proto union. And now we have like, unions for different kinds of trades that help protect people against that happening but we don't have it enough with like necessarily all of the trades that are going to be fucked with by ai 
Right, right. And that's kind of my point is I feel like maybe we need another revolution to kind of kickstart that because I know even in my job, there's certain things I can't touch because I'm not part of the electrical union. So you can do like X amount of a job, but you can open up that electrical panel because it's written into the electrician's unit uh, union that they have to be the ones to operate this specific function. Another example is uh, elevator doors. I was making elevator doors for a while and we had to make a special order for this um this store in Chicago that they still have elevator porters written into their union, like somebody that physically Mm. opens and closes the door. So we needed to put a a manual handle on this door because it's written into the union that these porters still need to have jobs. This means that it's somebody's job in Chicago to just go and open and close an elevator door all day, which I guess is great for the sake of like making work for people. But I think none of us can argue that that's not necessarily like a sign of progress, right? Like elevator doors close themselves now. Yeah. But Why do we need a- progress? Why is progress good for its own sake? Because like life just continues to get better and like life is better <laughs> now than it for was. Who? For oh, who? Come on, man. Come on. Like for everybody, we get to do this podcast over the internet in like pretty nice places with exposed brick walls and vinyl record <laughs> collections and washing and drying machines. And like life is better as much as people like to pretend that it's like getting worse. I am just genuinely like, I'm an optimist about the way things are. And I want to be an accelerationist when it comes to technology. Cause I feel like things will get better. Dude, people mm-hmm. were inventing things before we had this whole system that exploits people in front of us, man. Yeah, they invented this. Just gonna... Like people were doing this shit before capitalism, and capitalism accelerated it. But like, I don't think there's any proof to say that we wouldn't have certain things if it wasn't for this like whole system that just like beats the shit out of some people and rewards other people for being bad at their jobs. You know, the guys who are like putting sorry, like the guys who are I don't want to say just guys, but it is a lot of guys who are like you know, behind the, uh, you know, Sam Altman from OpenAI, like the guys behind these, these tools, like ChatGPT, they envision a world where like, nobody has a job. Or like only the, the only people who have jobs are the people who like own the technologies, the executives who like own the companies. And like, maybe some people under them who are like using machines to make stuff, but most people are just like living on universal basic income and consuming like chat GPT made content all day. And nursing. Like it's a very black mirror. Like they think this is like what our lives should be. Yeah. I mean, like, I guess like you could, you could have other jobs in this techno utopia as well. You don't need to be the chat GPT consumer. I also think it like oh, over- welder. Yeah. You could be a welder. You'd be a millwright for many such jobs carpenter those are the only people who are safe i mean I, for now again like there will be a future Thorns. like you talk about job they got robots man. doing backflips they're going to teach a robot how to you know nothing safe i think that the the real thing about automation and ai is that like you know rather than have a department of people all working together as a team which is important for like you know different ideas and input and creativity and stuff. And also just like human camaraderie, it will be the one best person on the team being the entire team, like using AI to like spin a bunch of different plates 
and it's sort of like it it's indicative of this thinking that humans are like flesh suits with computers trapped inside of them and like the point is like you know to keep your to keep like you know keep the ram running uh to its furthest extent also because like <clears throat> all this like ai stuff is really just machine learning still at this point we haven't taught ai how to feel and have like emotions and experiences so what happens okay all these media companies fucking fire the writers chat gpt or whatever the fuck is writing all these articles and then they find out it's a specific chat, uh, style of chat that writes the best articles and so now every single publication has the same fucking book review same fucking album review and stuff like yeah it's yeah and who says creating, something about just creating that? more problems for themselves and does the consumer have a problem with that like who brings who it wants up? to but okay, I think let me take a poll what... here like who wants to watch a TV show that was written by an AI after the first time? Like, maybe you want to see it once because you're like, oh, I wonder how this will be. Like more and then after that, who is interested in watching a TV show made by AI or reading an article made by AI beyond the first time where it's like the novelty thing? I think there's always going to be the interest in the human creator, like not only in the sense of a movie star, but like, I, I know Jesse Armstrong wrote Succession and he's a great writer. So I want to watch that show. Um, but I do think AI is going to be used as a tool to access consumers. So it's like, I'm a person, I'm looking at this big library like Netflix or whatever, and I have no idea what I want to watch. And AI is going to be used like to like get my eyes into more screens. Like it's gonna it's gonna be used as a tool like that. Like I don't think someone's gonna be sitting behind the AI and like using it like they're surfing the web. Like they're on the AI, mm. but it's gonna be like webbed into the system to just like pull more of these people that aren't like on their phones twenty four seven. That where like there's six billion people on this planet and we need all of their eyeballs. There's not enough eyeballs on the content yet but okay so just back to ai the last thing i wanted to say that to bring this conversation full circle was this article i read by the writer hamilton nolan which was what if you used ai to automate the ceos see okay this was my original idea but we should automate municipal and federal government with ai that just sounds like crypto libertarian. Yeah, no, nah, I don't like that. How is that different from what you're describing? Just at a bigger scale, CEOs are kind of like mini presidents, right? I thought you're saying like government bureaucracies. CEOs are also sort of elected from a board, and that board's made up of other CEOs on other companies. It's like a um, a boys club that will never ever let like anything disrupt that like that yeah it's like how system. voting should be that like if for ai <laughs> to over the role of the ceo would be like the end of capitalism like we'd be in something new now yeah. where it's like computers control the world absolutely which is why we as a proletariat should fight for that <laughs> that should so we be should the change fight? we want to affect i mean in a weird way if you really wanted to get all accelerationist and shit Yes. Like, kind of. Yes. Yeah, you'd, you'd get the tech to to defeat the ruling class. That's right. Replace the They CEO. tried this in the but Terminator movies, and it did not work. That's true. John Connor fucking fucked it up. See if they just left it up to Arnold. You see, if we... 
I'm down with that, Slava, if you can guarantee we can invent time travel. Otherwise, it will backfire. Okay, but all jokes aside, how is that different from what Emily, by way of Hamil- uh, Hamilton Nolan, just described? He's saying, I think that maybe on second thought, there are some serious issues with this idea. Uh, <laughs> however, <laughs> not, the, um, not like, the person outside my window. Basically, what he says is no, that, just, like, subscribe to Nersey. Uh, he says, if we were to imagine a job that was a perfect candidate for replacement by AI, it would be one that consists of measurable tasks that can be learned. Allocation of capital, creation and execution of market strategy, selection of candidates for top roles, and one that costs the company a shitload of money. In other <laughs> words, executives. Yes. These lazy, greedy employees spend mo- much of their day sitting on their asses, making yes or no decisions yet they reward themselves with grotesque pay packages. Yes. Okay, he hasn't lied yet. Shareholders are spending these extravagant sums for tasks that can now be done just as well by an AI program trained on 100 years of corporate reports and Wall Street Journal texts. Not even. Ten (laughs) ten years. 100 days. (laughs) So that's what, I mean, it goes on, but that's what, I guess he meant that AI could do the tasks of these people who are, uh, soaking up, you know, seven hundred, eight hundred thousand dollars a year. Yeah, but then like you get into like a smart house situation where you try to fuck off like from the office early on a Friday, and the CEO just like locks every single door. Like, where the fuck yeah. did you see you're going? To <laughs> yeah, that's true. You have, do you have a tea a tea time, Drew? At 3 PM? <laughs> Unfortunately, you'll be working. That sounds like I mean, it sounds problem. like. It sounds like Ham No is use, perhaps use using your time theft today to the total of forty-seven minutes. You'll be staying here, and it's like, oh my god, <laughs> yeah, definitely Black uh, Mirror. I mean, it sounds like he was using making this argument sort of rhetorically, yeah, uh, to illustrate, yeah, because if my AI CEO robs me of my precious tea times more than my current level of poverty does, I'm gonna fucking wig out. Yeah, plus AI couldn't do half the stuff Jerry Angelo does in in his day before he even has his morning avocado (laughs) toast. It would be funny, though, to just have this sort of like version of the internet where it's like an AI musician makes a song and then an AI music critic reviews it. Mm -hmm. And it's this like uh, closed loop of just like bots talking to each other zoo where you could like watch the ai interact with the other ai like so one like an ai music and then the ai review of the music like there's there's something there i'd get i'd get it's called twitter (laughs) (laughs) um yeah i mean every time i post anything about how to be an alpha male i get at least 15 comments back about the best shit coins to buy and uh, it's it's a closed (laughs) loop yeah on Twitter or on TikTok? Whatever. On any site. Yeah. All right. It is. We've been going for two hours and eight minutes, seven minutes. Um, pretty chaotic episode, if I must say. Pretty chaotic episode. Emily, thank we'll, you for we'll being here. We'll cut it here. down to a <laughs> yes. Emily Friedlander, thank you for being on Nerzy. Um, I'm going to let Trey finish because he took us in. Yeah, Emily, thanks for coming on. Um, if you actually want to talk about AI next time instead of the 
ramblings of three to four. Uh, yeah, madman. Uh, we, we'd love to have you back. Um, but yeah, I, I don't even remember half of the shit we talked about. But uh, yeah, it was nice to just like have an airing of grievances of sorts, I guess. Yes. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm Troy. I'm Drew. Yeah, I'm Slava. And our producer is... Uh, John. Emily, you want to say bye? Bye. My name is Emily Friedlander. Listen to my podcast, The Culture Journalist. That's Culture Journalist. At substack.com. Good. Oh, yeah. And if you've listened to this part in the podcast... cut it, cut it. We're not promoting the show. Cut it, cut it. Yes, yes, we are. (laughs) Vladimir Zelensky, give the money back. Um... If you've listened to this far into the podcast, you should be following us on Substack, and you can do that at nerzy.substack.com. Sure, or I'll just yourself in somewhere, but we yeah. don't need you. Yeah, <laughs> we don't need you. We'll be um, fine without you. Well, he was smiling like a vulture as he rolled up the horticulture. Ignited it and said, I hope the vapors don't insult you. What I replied, denied, but a mixing weed and hot. He said it was nine.